Before we dive into Scripture, let's start in a word of prayer this evening. <clears throat> Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of salvation that You offer to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for the fact that we are coming up to the time of year where we as Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and we uh, take time to focus in even more on the coming of Jesus Christ the first time. And so, God, I pray that as we look into Your Word and we reflect on the beginning of this year's uh, series, uh, looking at um, the first coming of Jesus Christ, what we would call Advent, God, I pray that You would be stirring in our hearts what it is that You want to teach us about the significance of why Jesus Christ came to earth as a human being. God, I pray that as we get into Your Word, that Your Holy Spirit would challenge us where You need to challenge us, that we would have hearts that are open to hear what it is that You want to teach us tonight. I pray that if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would recognize and understand the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ. I ask that you would guide our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I think it's safe to say that the day and age in which we live is a time when people are feeling hopeless, or at least hopelessness is a very genuine, real issue that people are wrestling with. And as we look at the idea of hopelessness or hope tonight, you'll notice that our first Advent I want to say calendar, because every time I say calendar, I don't know why, because my family's always got an Advent calendar, little Lego ones, you know, and you, you know, count up to Christmas, and you get your little Lego out, and you, you know, we did that instead of chocolates, it seemed to be more fun, but many people who celebrate Advent have an Advent wreath with candles in it, and as they recognize each kind of significant um, um, step towards Christmas as they celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas time, they'll light a candle. And so we um, are going to do something similar to that this season. We are celebrating Advent. We're calling it a season of expectation. And tonight we're going to be talking about the expectation of hope. And so we have our, our hope candle lit, so to speak, here. And then over the next uh, other three weeks up uh, leading up to Christmas, we're going to have uh, three more of these like them on the stage, and they're going to be addressing uh, and symbolizing each of the topics that we're going to be covering in our season of expectation. And so we've kind of lit our candle tonight, and hopefully it's large enough for everybody to see. But for many of you, you might not have ever celebrated Advent before, and so this is a new thing for you. And really what it is, is it's just an opportunity for us to reflect on the first coming of Jesus Christ, uh, Christmas or Advent for many, what they would call, and the fact that with that coming of Christ, there are very specific, significant things that are wrapped up in Jesus' first coming. And so as we light this candle, so to speak, and we see the word hope on it, we're going to reflect tonight on the hope that Jesus Christ brings. And that is all the more significant in, the, uh, in light of the fact that we live in a world right now that seems to be racked with hopelessness for a lot of people. I did a very quick search 
on the internet just looking for some stories, some news stories, some news articles um, as to whether or not, you know, really hopelessness is much of a thing. And it took me all of five seconds to find three stories right off the bat that talk about hopelessness. On November 3rd, so I had a couple that came up on November 3rd, one that came up on November 4th. So from um, AM650 CKOM, there's a story from Saskatoon that said, Saskatchewan patient hopeless after surgery delayed further. Now, I don't know about you in this room. Maybe there's somebody in this room that can totally connect with that particular story because either you've had a surgery pushed off or you've had a loved one whose surgery has been pushed off because of the day and age in which we're living. And there's a level of concern. There's a level of anxiety. There's a level of fear that comes with what happens if this surgery gets pushed off again. If this is a potentially life-threatening disease or illness that this person has, pushing off the surgery to just another week may be that much more dangerous. And yet this individual in Saskatoon feeling absolutely hopeless because their surgery got pushed off yet again. On November 3rd, there's another article through, the Glo through Global News. It's actually on the Global National. It says, that's a really hopeless feeling. Frustrated farmers cope with B.C. flood aftermath as more bad weather lies ahead. And we've seen that. You, you, I'm sure saw in the news stories, you saw the pictures of just land flooded with water out in B.C. And farmers losing crops or having land destroyed or homes destroyed or cars destroyed. And then, you know, when somebody goes through something like that and then they know that more bad weather is to come, there's a level of hopelessness that just overwhelms people. Heather's best friend, my wife's best friend in, in, uh, from college, we had the privilege a few years ago to go out and visit them in California. They live in Simi Valley. They have actually been impacted at least twice by the brush fires that happen in California almost every year, and it devastates whole communities, destroys whole communities. They actually had to be evacuated from their home because the brush fires were so bad that they were creeping up on their house, and they were really running the risk of losing their own home. And there's a level of, there's a feeling, there's a, there's a level of hopelessness that comes when you have to run for your life, knowing that what you're leaving behind may not even be there when you come back. November 4th in USA Today, this article, here's the headline of the article, though maybe I don't really relate to this personally, there are those that do, the article headline was this, Climate Anxiety. Amid feelings of hopelessness, some turn to climate-aware therapists for help. Part of me wants to say lots of stuff about this. I will not. Just that there are people who genuinely have worry and anxiety over climate change. That's maybe not as serious to some as others. For, for many, it is. But let's be honest, I, I didn't even address probably the half a dozen articles that I probably could have easily pulled out about those that have complete hopelessness and anxiety that they feel over the whole issue of COVID-19. And every time COVID-19 is mentioned or every time a case is mentioned or every time an outbreak is mentioned or whatever, people just run for the hills because they just are 
absolutely fearful of what's going on. And that there's a level of hopelessness that hits them when they hear that. Or the fact that we don't know if we're ever going to get back to normal or what the new normal is. And that in and of itself can actually create hopelessness for people. And so, in the day and age in which we live, there's a hopelessness that's hitting many, many people. We are not unique to that. Our time and our lives in history is not unique to these feelings of hopelessness. There are those that live around the world that may be not dealing with some of the things that I listed off, but they're dealing with other things that just stir up in them hopelessness. We live in a hopeless world. To deal with this, people feel the need to seek after things or people to set their hopes on. I um, looked up the definition of hope because sometimes it's hard for us to kind of nail down what the word hope actually means. The dictionary defines hope in three different ways. One, it's a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. Number two, hope is a person or a thing that may help or save someone. And three, hope is a grounds for believing that something good may happen. And so as people deal with their hopelessness, they turn to things or people that may bring them hope. And so oftentimes people will pursue Hope in their finances, or hope in their friends, or hope in their family, or hope in their success, or hope in medical treatments, or hope in the government, or hope in religion, or hope in good deeds, or hope in role models. The unfortunate thing is this, that we as human beings, to deal with our hopelessness, tend to strive after things that are as equally hopeless is where we're living right now. Think about it. If I'm experiencing sheer hopelessness and I put all my hope in my family, I know my family. They know me. If they're putting their hope in me, they're putting their hope in the wrong place. If I'm putting my hope in them, I'm putting my hope in the wrong place because I'm putting my hope in something that is equally as hopeless as I am. And how futile that is to put my hope in something that's already hopeless. But that's where we find ourselves. Romans 8, 20 to 22 says this, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. I want, I want you to think about this for, for a second. So cre all of creation, that includes us has been subjected to futility by the one who subjected it in hope, in the hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. To look at the world around us, we, we, we as people are groaning about what we encounter in life. Yes, there are some t times when we have good days, there are times when we have bad days. 
But even if we just look at our own mortality, we all know that there's going to come a point in time when my time on this earth is done. My life is over. Boys, if that's where I stayed, and if I stayed in that reality with no other truth to come to me, boys, is that hopeless? I look at the creation around me, and though there are absolutely gorgeous, beautiful elements of, of creation, just talking to a friend today, tonight, that was just talking about some of the beautiful creation that they were able to see on a trip that they went on. I saw pictures of it, gorgeous creation. And as wonderful as that is, and as we can look at it and say, wow, isn't God amazing in His creation? We also hear of floods ransacking whole places, destroying farms and crops and homes and people's lives. We hear of tornadoes decimating. We hear of droughts. We, because creation is groaning because of sin, because of corruption, waiting for that time when God restores everything to when it was once perfect. But right now, we're surrounded with hopelessness. As we think about our candle that represents hope, it symbolizes the promises of God through the prophets of the hope for all mankind, Jesus. Before we get into the passage that I ask you to turn to, I want to read Isaiah 9, 6. It says this, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Thousands of years before Jesus came on this earth, God gave to the prophets the message that one day Jesus Christ the Messiah was going to come the hope for all mankind. We want to look at that hope tonight. I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. I want us to see that this announcement of hope for all mankind came to a young man and a young woman who were equally in a very hopeless situation. Let's look at it in verse 18. It says this, the birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Before we continue, I want you to think about this situation for a second. For those of us that have maybe gone, been in the church for a long time, maybe grown up in Christian homes, have, have heard this passage read multiple times. We can kind of just gloss over this, but I want us to think about the fact that when this interaction that Joseph has with the angel comes, he is in an extremely hopeless situation. Now, we know that if we read Luke chapter 1, that Mary has already had a visitation from an angel saying, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to conceive, and you're going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. You're, you're going to bear the Messiah. She's already kind of in the loop on this. That doesn't make her life any better as an unmarried young lady in Jewish culture 
that for nine months she's walking around as a pregnant young lady when the whole community knows that she's not married, this is not a legitimate child, and the stares and the, the mocking and the sneers and the... If, if she actually hadn't been living in the day and age in which she was living, where the Jewish people, where the Jewish authorities had to get the Roman officials permission to actually execute somebody according to the law, the Jewish people in, their, in her community would have just picked up stones and stoned her to death. Because that was the punishment for what they would have perceived as the sin that she committed. But that doesn't mean that she didn't receive, I'm sure, her fair share of ridicule while she was going through that. And then Joseph, who's engaged to marry her, discovers that she's pregnant, knows it's not his, but he's a, he's a stand-up guy. He's a righteous man. He doesn't want to make a public spectacle of her, so he's just going to divorce her secretly. But let's be honest, he loves this girl, wants to marry this girl. All of a sudden now it's like, mm, I, my engagement's done. I'm going to have to just divorce her secretly and have to find another spouse. I'm sure that there's an aspect of hopelessness there. I'm sure that there's, as he looked at this situation, it's like, how did I find myself in this mess? And yet, in the midst of all of that, the Lord sends an angel, visits with Joseph, and says in verse 20, but after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. In verse 23, see the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son, and they will name his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named his name Jesus. The angel meets with Joseph and lets him know that they have the privilege to experience and witness the coming of the hope of mankind, the person of Jesus Christ. Some things that it's important to understand when this angel comes and declares some things. We, again, just read through this passage and we kind of take it as very common um, information, common knowledge. But I want you to see that even in the names that their child is given, it talks about and continues to proclaim how Jesus is the hope for all mankind. Look at this. The angel comes and says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the name Joshua. The meaning of Joshua is the Lord saves. The name that Jesus receives describes and defines what he's going to do. He's going to save people from their sins. He is the only hope for mankind. In a hopeless world, the hope of mankind comes to a very seemingly 
hopeless couple. If you think about the, another mention of the name Joshua, because though it was recorded as Jesus for us in the Greek, it may very well have been that, in fact, Joseph got the name Joshua. Hey, you're going to name him Joshua or Jesus in the Greek. The other Joshua that we would probably be familiar with from Scripture is the guy who took over for Moses. Interesting that that Joshua also delivered the people by the power of God. That delivery was quite a bit different, though. He was raised up as the leader of the children of Israel to, to, to take them out of the wilderness and into the promised land. That Joshua gave them military victories. He gave them military delivery. But you know what? He was just a man. He was not God the Son. And though he could accomplish some saving for the children of Israel, he could not bring the salvation that they actually needed, the salvation of their sin, from their sins. Only Jesus could bring that. And this Jesus enters the picture, and he's going to save his people from their sins. Just as the angel actually says, he says, you're going to name his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Interesting that when this was happening, the Jewish people were under subjugation to the Romans, to the Roman authorities. Jesus wasn't coming to deliver them and give them salvation from the Romans. They had been in bondage and captivity over and over again all through their history. The Jewish people knew what bondage was like. They knew what slavery was like. They, they knew what physical slavery was like. They also knew what sinful slavery was like. Because over and over again, the children of Israel decided that they were going to do things their way. They weren't going to do what God wanted them to do. And over and over again, they suffered the consequences of their sin. And they were in bondage either physically or they were in bondage spiritually to their sin, but they were regularly in bondage. And they needed someone to come and save them from their sin, to bring freedom, to bring peace with God. And Jesus did that. Not only that, but it says in verse 23, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. In fulfillment of what John talks about when John describes for us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we behold him. It says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He continues on. He says, in verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he, be, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Jesus is the hope for all mankind. And not only did the Jewish people need to see that and need to understand that, we need to see that and understand that. Jesus is our only hope. He's the only hope for a hopeless world. I find it interesting that um, when you looked at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, which actually some of us were reminded of this morning, where Jesus sought Zacchaeus out to share the good news with him. 
And in Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, it says this, Today salvation has come to your house, because Jesus declared the gospel message to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus received that gospel message, that faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, Today salvation has come to, your, to this house. And it says in verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't just come to seek and to save Jewish people. He came to seek and to save all lost people. Jesus is our only hope. And because Jesus came to seek and to save lost people, the second thing that I want you to see is that everybody needs this hope. Every single human being needs to experience the hope of Jesus Christ, salvation in Jesus Christ. I want you to see that in this passage, if we just look, went back a few verses, and I'm not going to read all the names because you don't want to hear me read all the names, but if you looked at just the early part of this chapter, you would see the genealogy of Jesus. You would see the earthly line that Jesus is born into. And you would see that even in this particular family line, the people in this family line needed a Savior desperately. That even in Jesus' earthly human family line that he was born into, these were people that desperately needed a Savior. You would think that maybe the line of people that Jesus was born into, hey, they were kind of upstanding people. They were, if, if anybody didn't really need salvation, it's this family line, right? Look at the family line for about five seconds and you'll see some very significant names here. I'm just going to highlight some. Matthew names 15 kings from David to Jeconiah. Jesus came from a noble line of kings, and some of them were good kings. But you know what? Sometimes they weren't especially righteous people. Several of these kings, David, Hezekiah, Josiah, and others, were great kings. They were very regal individuals. They, they even loved God, and they sought to follow God. But even among believers, they committed some pretty obvious sins. You have a guy named Jehoshaphat, one of the kings, who was a godly king, but he entered into alliances with wicked men on a regular basis. Hezekiah, who's considered to be a good and godly king in his pride later on in his, in his reign, showed the treasures of the kingdom to his enemies who turned around later on and plundered the kingdom and stole all the treasures because he was too arrogant and proud. Uzziah, where we hear that it says in the day that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in his holiness. Uzziah was considered to be a godly king, but you know what? As he went a long time into his reign as king, he became extremely proud and he dared to usurp the role of a priest. He actually went into the temple and offered incense on the altar to God, something that was absolutely forbidden because he thought he was good enough to be able to do that. And then you have David. Described as a man after God's own heart, spies out this lady, taking a bath on her roof of her house, decides that he wants to have an affair with this lady. Ends up committing adultery with Bathsheba, then he turns around and has her husband killed on the battlefield to try to cover up his sin. That's just four godly kings. That doesn't take into account the, ha the other half of the kings that are mentioned in this genealogy who were downright wicked men. 
King Manasseh, who's described in this particular family line, is described this way. He did more evil than the nations. And yet this man is in the family line that Jesus was born into. In this genealogy, you have four women mentioned. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Tamar played the role of a prostitute in order to get impregnated by a family member who she was supposed to be given to one of the sons so that they could continue the family line. And she played the prostitute so that she could get pregnant. You have Rahab, who is actually described as the prostitute of Jericho, who came to faith in God and ended up helping the Jewish spies. You have Ruth, who was a Moabitess, so she would have come from a pagan family, a pagan country. She would have worshipped pagan gods before she adopted the, the God of Israel and was brought into Boaz's family. You have Bathsheba, who committed adultery with David. These four ladies mentioned in this genealogy and they themselves, just like all the men, were just as sinful. The very members of Jesus' family line needed to be saved from their sins. They needed Jesus to come as their Savior. And we're not off the hook because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every single one of us, every person we know, every person on this planet needs Jesus. He's their only hope. That's why the message of Christ, the first advent, Jesus' first coming, is so significant. Not just that we can celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas time and say this is a, a, fa a festive occasion, this is a great time of celebration, and it definitely is, because for those of us who have responded to the gospel message, we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can look at it and say, what an awesome time to celebrate, because Jesus came, I was able to hear the gospel, and I've responded to that. It's also a wonderful time of year because guess what? We have an opportunity to share the gospel message the coming of Jesus Christ, the hope of my, mankind to people who need it because all people need Jesus who is their only hope. Psalm 130 verses 7 and 8 say this, Israel, put your hope in the Lord for there is faithful love with the Lord and with Him is redemption in abundance. He will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Just look at that verse for a second. He says, right off the bat, put your hope in the Lord. The Lord is our only hope. But the Israelites were, were, were commanded to do that. And then it's described this way, there is faithful love with the Lord. God loves people. He longs to extend that love to each and every person. He longs to provide redemption in abundance. Think about that. Just think of yourself. Think of all the things that you've ever done wrong, all the things that would violate God's standard of perfection. And to be able to realize that Jesus pours out redemption in abundance, forgiveness of sins, 
When I think of all the things I've done wrong, to think that God would just pour that redemption that in abundance on me is just overwhelming. I don't deserve that at all. And yet, God extends that to me. You might say, hey, but Dave, the psalm writer there, he's talking to the children of Israel. That's not me. I'm not a, I'm not a child of Israel. Well, in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, a very familiar Christmas passage where Luke records the coming of Jesus Christ. It says this in verse 10, but the angel said to them, talking to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Not just for the Jewish people, for all people. What's this good news of great joy? Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas time the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ. That leaves me with the last point that I want to share, and it's more of a question, and that's this. Will you share this hope of Jesus with other people? If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you share this message? Are you so moved by what Christ has done for you, the hope that you've experienced through Jesus Christ? Are you so enthralled with the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and His salvation, that you will share that with other people? Look at the shepherd's example from Luke chapter 2. First advent, Jesus' first coming. It says in Luke chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, after seeing them, so after seeing the angels, after hearing the, the, the report, the message, it says they reported the message excuse me, and after seeing Mary and Joseph and baby in the stable, it says, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had to say to them. They went out and they told everybody they, they could find, you got to come and see the baby. You got to come and see the Messiah. You got to come and see the only hope for mankind. They went and shared the message of Jesus Christ. Do we really believe that this message is life-changing? Do we really believe that the message of Jesus Christ is the hope that a hopeless world needs? Are we going to stand back and we're going to let the people that we know and love continue to pursue hopeless things, trying to deal with their hopelessness? Or are we willing to go to them and say, I know exactly what you need. Jesus Christ, he's the hope that you need. He's the only hope that you need. One of the opportunities that we have as a church to be able to be a part of sharing that message is in these cards. It's not a shameless promotion. It's just an opportunity for us. Sometimes we find it difficult, maybe. We were challenged with this for those of us that came to the evangelism training this morning. We were challenged this morning, and many of us were convicted and challenged by the Holy Spirit with what we heard about the importance of sharing our faith with people around us. And sometimes, one of the things that John Wells reminded us of this morning is that sometimes it's just difficult for us because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of ridicule. Or we're afraid because we don't know how to start the conversation. The reason why we put these little cards out and put them on our chairs or on, this, on your seats for you to pick up is this is an opportunity for you to just go up to somebody and say, I'd really like to invite you to 
our Christmas Eve service. We're going to be celebrating the expectation of the Savior. Or, hey, I'd really like to invite you out to Christmas at the manger. It's a live nativity. You're going to have a chance to hear the, the real reason for Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's just a way for you to start the conversation about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope for all mankind, with somebody that you know and you care about. Christian, are we, are we willing to step out and share that message of hope to a hopeless world? You might be here tonight, and maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't know everybody in this room. There may be somebody here who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not feeling hopeless right now. But what we pursue is just one hopeless thing after another. There are great things. Family is great. Having a good job is great. Having finances is great. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. But those aren't the hope that we need. Those aren't going to give us life eternal. And yet Scripture makes it abundantly clear that after this life on this earth is done, we're going to spend eternity somewhere. We're either going to spend it with God or we're going to spend it apart from God in a place called hell. And pursuing those things is not going to give us that opportunity where we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and spend eternity with Him. We need to share the gospel. We need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ tonight. He is your only hope for salvation. 